0: Fitness Podcast, Episode 9. Today, I I just had to record this because I heard one of the craziest stories that is all absolute truth, but it's a mystery. It's a mystery that happened over a hundred years ago, just like slightly over a hundred years ago, and it goes back in history. But even if you're not a big history fan, this story is going to excite the fuck out of you. Man, this shit is wild and it just makes you think and all the implications of it that one man really changed history. And there's a lot of good people people who have changed the world for the better There's people who have been evil and changed the world for the worse. But this guy necessarily didn't really even have an agenda. He was just living. He was enjoying himself. And he was trying to solve problems, really. And the big problem being starvation, anger with the government, and this person, this scene, this scenario takes place, World War I, Russia, but people throughout Europe were fed up with this. They were fed up with the government, they were fed up with the war, they were fed up with friends and family and community members dying recklessly and needlessly. They were tired of starving, and this was true. Pretty much every European country. So we're getting into the history part of this now. We're going to talk about the history, but we're going to get to this one dude who absolutely changed the world. And it's a mystery. Some of the magical things he did. Some people thought he was a prophet from God, or um, there's, and then some people thought he was magic and different things. And it's truly one of the greatest true stories. And mysteries that I've ever heard. So even if you don't like history, just bear with bear with me real quick. For those who don't do love history, it'll be a nice little catch up. But so World War One happened, started in nineteen fourteen, and basically uh, Austria Hungary and Serbia, the country next to it. This is Central Europe. Eastern Europe, sort of, they don't really get along. Austria-Hungary sent Serbia this letter, said, hey, you guys have to do all these things, otherwise we're going to war with you, and Serbia, they couldn't meet those requirements that Austria-Hungary was asking, so a few terrorists, it's funny because, well, (laughs) terrorism isn't funny, but it's funny the differences in those words a hundred years ago compared to today. But anyways, a terrorist or a Serbian nationalist, let's call him, um, a group of them went over to kill the Archduke. Think of him like sort of a prince. Royal, you know, connected with the family, and he had a motorcade and he was driving, and they had this big plan, and They threw a grenade, and it hit his car, but it didn't blow up, and the second car behind him that drove over it winded up blowing up, so all the guys, all the terrorists, you know, they're kind of defeated, so they go get something to eat, and they're all just sitting there in sorrow, eating sandwiches or whatever, and one guy goes outside to, you know, go smoke a cigarette, try and cool off, whatnot, and by fate, so no, like, after this event happened, uh, the initial bombing, the, Austria-Hungary, Aust, man, this is gonna mess me up the whole time, Austrian, Austria-Hungary? But I'm trying to say, like, the possessive form. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyways, this Archduke, his name's Franz Ferdinand, he, he just drove off, no one really knew where he went, um, all the cars went off in different directions. So I mean, they didn't they didn't know where he was going, so all the tourists just, you know, went and get their sorry sandwiches. And then this dude goes outside to smoke a cigarette and just by the luck of fate, the archduke is sitting outside in his car. So he goes and murders him, and then that sets off a war in between those two countries. Serbia is really small, but ethnically They're very close to the Russians. So Russia was like, you know Serbia, that's my little brother, I got your back. And then Austria-Hungary, they're friends with the Germans. And Germany was like, hey, I got your back, Austria-Hungary. And, you know, that pretty much means Germany and Russia are going to have to go to war. So at the same time, Germany... In France have been fighting for decades Germany just became a country like so we're, we're still in 1914 Germany had just become a country not too long ago and but they had been fighting um, with the French Otto von Bismarck von Bismarck sorry that was in the 1870 and 1871 and Germany and France would go to war and they hadn't gone to war in a while and Germany have been preparing this plan called the Schlieffen Plan. So, in the Schlieffen Plan, there's France and Germany share a border to France's east and Germany's west. This border is heavily fortified, there are forts and defensive units, and it'd be really hard to break through there. But to the north of that is a bunch of neutral countries like the Netherlands and Belgium. So Germany was like, okay, they're probably not fortified. France, France probably isn't fortified on their Belgian border. So Germany's like, all right, we're gonna send, we're gonna create a diversion, pretending like we're going to those heavily heavily fortified spots, and then send a massive group through the top. So they had had this plan for fifty some years, something like that, and they're like, all right, well, since we're going to war with them. Let's just go to war with France because we have this plan. This is our time to use it. We can knock them out real quick. And uh, some people kind of think that's stupid because why would you want to go to war with both Russia and France and have two sides, you know, be defending two fronts necessarily at the same time? And that's a mistake that they didn't learn in the First World World War. Um Because they made the same mistake in the Second World War. Anyway, so they thought, this is how Dan Carlin, amazing historian, uh, podcaster, entertainer, definitely check him out. This is where I got most of this information from. This podcast is pretty much surmising his uh, doomsday of Armageddon. Forget the actual name. I'm doing a real bad job of shouting them out. But, anyways, go go check that out. Um, So, I'm just summarizing it right now. But, so, like I was saying, how he compared it is he said that imagine you know you're going to get into a bar fight, right? With two dudes. But France is going to be at the bar five minutes earlier than Russia. Because, you know, these are big armies, it takes them a while to mobilize and whatnot. So go ahead, knock France out real quick, and then when Russia shows up, you're fighting one-on-one. So Germany does this, and that triggers the United Kingdom into the war. And they did that because these neutral countries were not to be violated. It was understood that they were not on either side and when germany invaded them to get to france they pretty much told them to roll over but belgium belgium wasn't about to do that and uk was they were already they were sitting on the fence right there because they knew well if germany takes over france it's sort of a buffer state and that's the only thing between them and us and of course the ocean, or the English channel. But anyways, they're like, all right, so let's go to war. So that's how all the major powers get in there. Germany winds up telling, uh, not telling, but convincing Turkey to join their team. And then on the other side, there's Italy. Um, They're also a recently pretty new country. And they're fighting with the... uh, the Allied powers. And then Japan's over there, and they know Japan's an island, but on the Asian mainland, there's some German possessions. They think they could go and steal those pretty quickly. Throughout the war, Germany's trying to flip Japan, trying to flip uh, Italy, both onto their side. Actually, um, they even tried to flip Mexico and get them to go to war with America, saying, We'll give you Texas back. We'll give you New Mexico and Arizona back, and which is kind of funny because how the hell is Germany going to give Mexico United some of the United States states? They don't really don't have any power to do that. So this whole time, so, all right, history, these non-history people are probably getting so fed up. I'm getting to the point here. I really need to set up the story before I get to this one man, the one of the best stories I ever heard, one of the best mysteries. I've been thinking about it non stop for the past 24 hours ever since I heard of it. So, this war, they were, when they started, they were still fighting like the 19th century, but it was the 20th century now. Guns, weapons were much stronger. Um, Germany had submarines. They had they really had to redefine the rules of war because prior to this, when you went to go attack a city, you would say, hey, you know, everyone leave or, you know, get away because we're about to attack this city. There was some gentlemanship um, to it, to the rules of war. But here, you know, you have this technology. They had blimps and they had bombs, and they're like, well, can we just drop bombs from these blimps? And the planes weren't great, but yeah, do the same thing. It wasn't really an organized bombing raid, but the beginnings of one. And they they had these controversies, they, they really had to think the ethics behind it, and Germany winds up, you know, using these submarines and Attacking boats without notice. Anyways, it was just devastating. So many people were dying. Millions of people were dying. There was Each country had hundreds of thousands of deaths. Like, within months. Straight up. So, the fighting keeps on going on. And it's not really going anywhere. It's just a bunch of people dying resources are getting scarce. Countries on the outside, America, and in Brazil and Argentina, they were benefiting by this because they were selling them goods. They were selling goods and ammunition, food, clothing, materials, whatever, resources to these countries in Europe. But they necessarily didn't want to get into it because... You know, that's y'all's, that's y'all's turf. We'll sell you some things, make some money. But United States winds up getting into it. So this, this is what I've been discussing. is pretty much the whole war. And okay, so that's that's the history part. Now let's start talking about where this one larger-than-life character comes in and changes the world. So, in Russia, they still have a king, an emperor. There, it's called a czar. And the czar has a queen, also. It's called the czarina. So, the czar, the czarina had a child. They had three chil- children, actually, but... Um, First two were girls, third one was the only son. Thing is about their son was he was a hemophile. A hemophile is when your blood doesn't clot, right? And blood clotting, let's say you get a cut, right? Eventually, when you or I get a cut, our blood clots and it starts to scab up and we stop bleeding, but hemophiles, they keep on bleeding. So this is their only son. He has this disease that's pretty much a death sentence, and they're so desperate, the king and queen. I'm just going to call them king and queen. I know it's called czar and czarina, but I'm American, so I'm ignorant. So the king and queen, they're so desperate. They're willing to do anything. They've they've found they've already found all the top doctors they talked to religious people and they've searched high and low but they they can't find anyone till they hear about one guy way out in Siberia that can apparently heal his child so they bring this guy in and i mean he's a peasant everyone else the Senate, all the noble people are looking at him, thinking, the Tsar Czar and Tsarina, you're bringing this poor peasant to come live with you and your family? And This poor peasant, his name was Raz Putin. and Razputin, he comes from a part of Siberia where they're very, they're religious, don't get me wrong, they're Orthodox Christians. However, this specific culture in Siberia, they had the idea that you had to sin every once in a while. Not all the time, but like, you can't just be holy all the time. You need to experience this sinning too. And this, even though Rasputin had a wife... He was routinely seen seen in the center of town having orgies and whatnot and just doing wild, crazy, reckless things. So, not only did the king and queen just bring a peasant to come live with them, but this guy's also a freak, right? He's doing wild shit. But the thing is, whenever the little boy would have an episode, Rasputin would always heal him somehow. And all the doctors and all the counsel and advice that the Tsar and Tsarina had got beforehand completely went out the window because none of that worked, but Rasputin was somehow magically, it seemed, able to get it done. And still to this day, people don't know how he got it done. The problem was Rasputin was acting a fool over in the capital. They would, you know, bring him to social events and whatnot, and he'd be grabbing titties and smacking ass. Tsar Czar and Tsarina, apparently, the two daughters, they were teenagers, and he would feel them up all the time. In front of the king, he would grab the queen's titties, and it was, you know, like they were they couldn't do anything because they needed their son to survive. If their son died, there was no heir to their throne, and the dynasty would be over. So they absolutely needed their son to survive, and Rasputin was the only person that could help him. And no matter the crazy shit he did, which he did a bunch of crazy shit. Whenever they would kick him out, inevitably their son would fall, you know, he's he's eight years old, nine years old, he would fall, or, you know, nine-year-olds, they, they get cuts and bruises all the time and fall down all the time. For a hemophile, though, this could be deadly. And all the doctors, all the religious people, they couldn't help him. Only Rasputin could help him. So they would kick him out, but eventually they'd wind up bringing him back on. And the whole Senate was like, what are you doing? This man, he's hes ruining things. Because not only was he helping the kid, the king and queen's kid, but they they really were influenced by him. He was with them all the time. And he was speaking for the peasantry, the people that were starving, the people that saw all their brothers and friends and fathers die because this war was so devastating. So here comes this this poor guy, this peasant, this sinful peasant, come and live with them, and he's just wrecking things, and the Tsar could do absolutely nothing about him. And towards the end of the war in 1917, the Tsar winds up getting closer to the front line, trying to change the battles somehow. And Rasputin was just chirping in the queen's ear even more. And there's thousands of letters of the king and queen corresponding over letters. And you'll they refer to him as our little friend told us this or that. And they believed him because why wouldn't they believe him? He was... Despite everyone else not being able to, he was able to do the impossible and help their son. And I'll get to how he maybe did this at the very end. Some of the theories on how he was saving this kid's life. But it finally gets to a point where people, so Rasputin, everyone knew about Rasputin too, right? He was all up in the tabloids. People would talk about him throughout Russia even in other neighboring uh, countries, especially, think about the Germans, they're thinking, this Rasputin guy is super powerful. I don't know, he's goddamn peasant, but he's changing this shit. And then England, who's aligned with Russia, they're thinking, this, this the same thing. This fucking poor guy's coming in and running shit while they're listening to him. We, we need to kill this guy Germany's thinking, we need to influence this guy. We need to offer him shit. And then the Russian Senate and Congress is thinking, yeah, we need to kill this guy too. But obviously the czar didn't want it done. So the richest noblemen had to take it into their own hands and kill this guy. So uh, the, the very richest dude goes up to Rasputin. He's like, hey, um, we're having this party tonight. I want you to come over. And bang my wife. Yeah, super weird. Apparently, like, it was very common back then. Um, Women didn't really have a lot of rights. I I feel bad for that lady. But anyways, he's like, yeah, Rasputin, come over, bang my wife, and we'll party. Rasputin, he's a party animal. He's like, yeah, let's run it. So he shows up, fucks his wife. Then after, here's when their plot to kill him starts. They bring him all this wine and a whole feast, all this food. They lace everything with cyanide. Poison, absolutely everything. And this dude was a heavy drinker, right? As a lot of Russians are, but specifically this dude. He drank apparently five bottles of wine, all laced with cyanide, and ate till he couldn't eat anymore. All of it laced with poison. So it's taken a while. It's taken a while, and the guy trying to kill him, thinking, "What the hell's taking so long?" So he goes upstairs to all his buddies, you know, waiting, and they're, you know, waiting for this guy to die. And they're like, "What the hell? Like this this dude is consuming all this poison." And whenever they ask Rasputin, he's like, "Yeah, my uh, my throat hurts a little bit," and got a little bit of a stomach ache but and I'll be fine so they wait hours and hours and finally they're like all right this this guy is indestructible we're just gonna have to shoot him so take a revolver tell him to look at a painting they, they yelled something I forget it. it it wasn't that cool but they shot him right he falls down he starts convulsing foaming at the mouth. They go upstairs, they celebrate, yeah, we killed Rasputin, yeah. And they're so excited because this man has almost lost the war for him by telling, you know, the czar what to do multiple times. So, he goes down there, the guy who shot him, the rich nobleman, he goes down there. He's just angry, so he goes and finds him right where he left him and he picks him up and starts shaking him and all of a sudden, he sees Rasputin's eyes open, and Rasputin starts clawing at him and coming after him. You got to think, one, they think this guy is magical, right? And two, he just came back from the dead, right? They watched him die. So he's a magical zombie now coming after him. He gets, you know, they get into a scuffle. Rasputin pushes him down, and starts running away. He's saying, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna tell the king and queen, I'm gonna tell the king and queen. They they chase him down. He gets, like, not too far away, but they shoot him a few more times. They tie his body up. They tie his arms and legs very securely. Then they wrap all that up in a carpet. There was an icy river. They find a hole in the ice, Dunk the whole carpet in there and send it floating down the stream, and a few days later, the the rug with the body in it washes up. And the myth is, the myth is, is that when they opened up the carpet, he was still in there, but all the ties were undone. So, even by getting shot and coming back to life, and then getting shot again and wrapped up and tied up dunked in ice water drowned somehow he still managed to fight through all that his man was unstoppable and just so captivating between that and how he's able to help the kid and then this too what i'm about to tell you he told the king and queen if you ever get rid of me or if i die not only is your son gonna die but you're gonna lose your empire within six months And he was damn right about that. And it's just crazy. This peasant from Siberia wound up in the capital, wound up influencing and making decisions as if he was the king. All because he could magically heal this hemophile child. It seems... Impossible that someone would be able to have this amount of effect. That after he died and things really started going downhill for Russia, and they wind up getting overthrown, the king and queen, and it completely, you know, really wind up bringing an end to the war. All because of this one poor peasant from Siberia, and you know, you could look at it how however you want, you could see it as God, you could see Rasputin as a prophet, you could think that someone time traveled and gave Rasputin a magical technology to, you know, being able to heal the sun, maybe something that science still doesn't understand, and... So now we're going to talk about how was he able to heal this. Because that was really what gave him all this power, right? So there's a few different theories. One theory is that he had a potion that made the kid worse. So like that makes it not like a magic potion, but it just like would mess the kid up even more. So when he needed to when he knew he was about to get kicked out, he would give the kid some, he would leave, and then you know a few weeks later, the kid would get bad because of that potion or whatever it was, and they would need him again. So he used it to apply pressure to him. There's another theory that, so around that time, aspirin was pretty new, and it was like this wonder drug. It was they were just—they were prescribing it for everything. It was like antibiotics nowadays, which actually have a lot of negative benefits, and so they were giving everyone aspirin for everything. But remember, this kid was a hemophile; his blood wouldn't clot, and aspirin thins blood, which would be the absolute worst thing for a hemophile that would kill him so all the doctors were giving it to him right and then the kid would get bad and Rasputin would show up he would tell him leave him alone you know I like, tell the doctors not to come anywhere near this kid only I can save him and he would just pretty much go and not give him aspirin and that would help the kid out and that would save him and then he would leave and the doctors would get back to doing giving them the aspirin. And the meantime, they thought this kid was going to die, they were so desperate, they just wrote Rasputin a letter and was like, help, we need you to do something. And he just sent a letter and said, your boy's going to be fine. Tell the doctors to get away from him. And they did, and the doctors went away from him. And the boy wound up getting better. They thought, wow, just through a letter, he was able to save my child. So uh, maybe he is a prophet... It's, it's absolutely, absolutely, I can't even talk. That's how blown away I am. So please share this story because it could really, one, it's entertaining as hell. Two, it's fun to think about. And three, it may inspire someone to think, you know, even though I'm a poor peasant, so to say, in well, whether it be North Dakota or Siberia or freaking, the Congo. You can change the world. And not like, like, oh, I'm gonna go change the world. But like, literally, like, fucking end World War I. Seriously. It's crazy. So share this, share this with your friends. If you know anyone who likes history, tell them, check this one out. But, you know, we talk about business. We talk about technology, current events. We're we're just into interesting things. So subscribe, leave a review. Thank you very much. Business Podcast, Episode 9. Thank you.